Hello, welcome back to another episode of Straight Talking English. I am your host, Catherine, STR8 Talk English on Tour, straighttalkingenglish.com, author of Jekyll and Hyde, the full context available on Amazon, and bringing you a very special episode. Not to do with Christmas Carol or the Victorian era this time. Last month, I opened up my inbox to AMA questions, questions on any old random topic that I could answer and get back to people about. The got two questions today, both on Othello. It's a play that I have taught before, but I didn't know as much about, I hadn't gone as deeply into as Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet. This was a really good opportunity for me to actually do that, I've been meaning to. And my first question was from Laura. She says, what's the significance of race in Othello? What does it say about Tudor society and black Tudors? Is it as big a plot point as it seems? And that is a really, really good question because Othello is a black character and his blackness, his outsider status, is really important. I dug into a history book called The Black Tudors and I really, really, really recommend it. It is absolutely fascinating and that was my source for a lot of today. First evidence we have of a black presence in England is actually a painting of a tournament that was given in 1507 featuring a dude called John Blanc in uh, quite a nifty little turban on a trumpet. His position as a trumpeter was really trusted, very well paying and also meant that he was a messenger. He might have lived in the UK as far back as 1501, arriving with Catherine of Aragon. She had two attendants. He was definitely a free man. And if he was from Spain, he was quite possibly West African in origin. Even though he was a Muslim, he came from this area around Seville that was... Yeah, that was um, West African. Couple of notes on terminology though. Catherine of Aragon had two quote unquote slave attendants, which is where we think it comes in. So this is the question, were they slaves? The answer, nope. At this point in history, the word doesn't really mean what we now know it to in terms of black and white. It's mostly used to be like, servant like servant on a really long contract so he would have come in as a long contract and been called a slave but like anyone could have been like anyone who's got a long-term contract was referred to in the same way regardless of like their position the other thing is there was this weird like slave loophole where slavery was banned on english soil so if you were enslaved by another country but like Spain, the second you were in England, you were not a slave. You could do what you wanted. And quite a lot of people would go to England and be like, well, not much you can do now. Like, it comes across a lot later as being slavery in the way that we know it now. So why is that? Why is it that other European countries are using the terminology of slavery and enslaving black people before the Brits are at this point? The answer is, we weren't really interested in it. 
<laughs> our colonies were in north america like roanoke and we didn't have the kind of economy set up it wasn't like Spain where they'd taken places that you could have large plantations and needed labour for. England did not even have that option. So Brits weren't really interested in it at this point. Our colonies were more like religious and ideological rather than economic. Don't talk that much about black Tudors because there was actually quite a lot of them. Some Mr. Reasonable Blackman, which, okay, you're going to come across this a lot. Like, you'll get a black Tudor whose surname is Black or Blackman or White or something. And it kind of just tends to be like nicknames that have stuck. This guy, Reasonable Blackman, was an independent silk worker, a silk weaver in Southwark. Edward Swarthy was a trusted domestic servant and lived in the Midlands. Um, domestic servant, again, in the sense a lot of people went into service. He, in fact, was the doorkeeper, which is a really big deal. It is like the first line of defence. And I'm assuming this guy was Dench because he carried out punishments on other people on behalf of his master. You had the very mysterious Catalina of Armandsbury. She moved to a village in the middle of nowhere and set herself up as an independent farmer. We know about her through her will and her possessions, but not about that much else. Like, what drew her to being in the middle of nowhere? It's absolutely fascinating. Like, how did white Brits deal with this? Mostly through curiosity. This guy, George Best, not the footballer, writing in 1578, said, I myself have seen an Ethiopian as black as coal brought to England, who, taking a fair English woman to his life, begat a son in all respects as black as the father. He's interested rather than repulsed. Like, when you see a baby and your response is, Ooh, doesn't he look like his mum? Or doesn't he look like his dad? It's that kind of vibe. It's more just like, oh, that's interesting. He doesn't have any of that, like, racial dislike that you would come to see later. It's just like, oh, you're from somewhere new. There is xenophobic pushback in Tudor times, but it's against those Catholics. Woohoo! More anti-Catholic stuff. In 1593, a bunch of apprentices posted what was called lewd and vile placards threatening foreigners. If they did not quote-unquote depart out of the realm, then 2,000 apprentices alleged they would rise up against them. But they were talking about French and Belgians. They were talking about Catholics from the main continent. If you were a baptised African, the odds are that you would belong to a church. Churches have their own community. And if you're a member of the church, you are accepted into that community. So pretty much, yeah, you're just a churchgoer, the same as everyone else, if you've been baptised into that church. And many people were. Remember, the big bad guy to Brits at this point is Spain. We're not fussed about anyone else, it's Spain with their delicious tapas and sangria. Morocco was was absolutely and actively sought as an ally against the Spanish 
and presented to the public as friendly, especially since there was an official embassy of Morocco set up during Shakespeare's lifetime in London. Depending on whether you think Moroccans, um, what you think of their skin tone, they are definitely African people and definitely non-white. You also had, and I honestly found this kind of fascinating, there was a weird reputation that people from West Africa were amazing at swimming, which is such a very specific stereotype. So when the Mary Rose was sunk in Portsmouth, Henry VIII was annoyed by this because it had a lot of expensive weaponry on board, like cannons. So he hired a special specialist Italian diving firm to try and get them out. Who is the specialist diving firm going to employ? The guys that have the reputation for being amazing swimmers. So you had this delegation of guys who had come via Italy to England, these black guys. They were treated like the creme de la creme. They got much better food compared to everybody else. We've got to keep these experts happy. The reason we know about this is because the Italian boss tried to nick the money that they were paid and it all got sent to court. And these gentlemen, some of them through translators, some of them like face-to-face in English, well, like, we've been doing our best here. This guy's nicked our money. And it just, it just depends on, are you Christian? What role are you playing? What can you contribute? And I'm not saying everyone in Tudor English society was 100% tolerant. But on the scale of people the Tudors didn't like, it was like, number one, Catholics. Number two, like, everyone else. Not a big fan of Turkish people. And then, like black people and like number five on the list after you know like a lot of other people including the unemployed like we are not talking public enemy number one how does this play into othello brief story of othello if you don't know it this superstar general in the italian army called othello gets married to a young white girl called desdemona in the middle of the night they then get called away to fight in cyprus because the turkish fleet are arriving when they get there of course a storm has washed away the turkish fleet and there isn't really anything to do othello's lieutenant is called iago and he is absolutely evil he is a total psychopath and it's his mission to bring down othello i hate him i hate him i hate him he tries lots of other things but his plan as it solidifies is convince Othello his wife is cheating. He does this by setting up some evidence that his wife is cheating with Othello's friend. So Othello's given her this present, it's an embroidered handkerchief. Iago and his missus hide it in her alleged boyfriend's stuff and Iago's like, oh, she must be cheating on you, he's got that present. Othello absolutely believes him and believes through Iago's manipulation that Iago is his best friend. Iago then manipulates him into killing his wife, Desdemona, and Othello then kills himself. He does stab Iago, but Iago kind of... He sort of gets away with it. It's a very ambiguous ending. Like, Iago says some very racist things. Uh, he's like, um, an old black ram is topping your white you, implying that Othello is an animal due to his skin colour. He is the only one that says 
disgusting racist things. Othello absorbs them. It's Iago who's the bad guy, not Othello. My vibe is that Shakespeare made Othello black to keep things a little bit current affairs-y. You know, like, it's like today um, having someone cast as, I don't know, a Palestinian or Afghanistani. It's a sense of, like, it's playing into current affairs and we're going to bring our own, our own vibe to it some commentators think that Iago is the voice of society and we're supposed to like empathize with him in his disgusting stuff he says and be like oh good point this was never going to work he's a bad guy because he's black but I think I disagree with this I see it as a story about independent love and trust between an outsider and a member of the establishment maybe Iago does present a stereotypical view it might reflect some corners of society but Iago is the king of soliloquies he will sit there and he will tell us his inside thoughts and at that point we are invited to make our own opinion so we've got a character standing there giving a speech I hate them all and we are put in that position of, do I agree with him? Is Othello so hateful? His soliloquies come after points where Othello has done something neutral, something nice, and to have Iago's hate contrasted with that, it makes us hate Iago more because we've just seen that character being lovely. We are always invited to judge we have to decide by the end do we think all this tragedy has happened because of Othello's naivety because he's an outsider is it just because of his race that he believes in Iago or do we see it as someone just a man who is trusting and a man who is evil the first bit of the play is set in Venice and Iago is Italian. So there is this little smell going around, smells a little bit like Catholics are evil, Catholics are to blame, they'll make you kill your wife. I think he wants us to question our assumptions that we have. I mean, do we assume that Othello is going to behave in a certain way because he's a soldier? Do we assume that he's going to behave in a certain way because he's an outsider? Shakespeare's subtle with this. He wants us to think about things. It's why his plays last, in my opinion, because we're always put on the spot to decide for ourselves, consciously or unconsciously. This leads me on to my second question. It's from Teresa in Southwark, and she says, Why did Othello fall in love with Desdemona, considering as they are from different races? It's a good point. Othello, when he meets Desdemona, he's an older guy, he's respected, he has a good job as a general in the army. Why does he fall for this much younger white girl who's actually the daughter of one of his friends? Well, their courtship is quite cool, actually. And she asks him to tell her stories about his life. And he tells her all these 
fascinating adventures he's had some of which we don't know if they're true when he says he's met people whose heads grow under their shoulders so they have like a face in their chest but regardless the fact is that she actually feels sorry for him the sad bits if there's a story that's like i don't know i was stabbed and someone would be like well that's heroic she actually goes oh no that's sad and because she's that one person who shows sympathy that's why they fall in love it's a plausible meeting to be honest she meets him when her dad has invited him over and that's pretty plausible that's something the audience can relate to it's not like this is definitely pre-tinder pre you know going down the pub you would meet people through your family or through your church so yeah already their love is seeming quite relatable a mixed marriage isn't that uncommon reasonable blackman who i mentioned the silk weaver his wife was um white british and their children were biracial it's mostly because there aren't that many i mean what i'm saying like the black population of the uk at this point was relatively large there's definitely not going to be enough people age appropriate for you to make a large choice like so having a marriage where one person is white one person is black yeah especially around southwark actually not too far from the globe um around reasonable shop you actually have like a small black community growing that is where people are going to walk past to get to the globe also fascinatingly and i keep joking about this i have yet to get through a series without talking about sex workers almost episodes to be honest as far as i can tell everything i research is about sex workers there was a black sex worker operating in southwark and a number of her clients were literary men and wrote about her beauty so she had somewhat of a somewhat of a cool reputation and she i mean she may well have been known like her house might have been known it's pretty close to the globe but mostly other than the fact that it's relatable mostly i think it's to set up a binary othello is written pretty close to romeo and juliet i put in my show notes that they're the same year but i am actually kind of doubting that now i don't know if that's true much in the same way as romeo and juliet everything is set up as a binary male female montague capulet old young light dark heaven earth you know group individual so we know conflict is coming because either the binaries will be united or they'll come into conflict or they'll drift away like you can't avoid an interaction between them othello and desdemona because not only have you got the binary of skin color you've also got the language of light and dark to describe their appearance everything that desdemona does like she wears white her hair is blonde she's pure like all this imagery of purity and whiteness and then everything iago says about othello is 
just about his blackness. As I mentioned, you've got the person inside society, the uh, like the Venetian socialite, and then you've got the soldier who's an outsider. It's setting up a binary from day one. So the second we have this scene, we know something is going to go south. That is why I think Shakespeare has to have him falling in love with Desdemona because it isolates him. If he fell in love with a black girl, then he would have a sense of unity. Then it would seem less like he's tragic, but he's not on his own. And just to use that language to make him so different, that's why you want to do it. That's why you want to make him fall in love with Desdemona. Also, Iago is so evil. It's called motiveless malignity. He comes up with loads of reasons. He's like, oh, Othello slept with my wife. Oh, he passed me over for a promotion. It doesn't make sense. He's just evil. He's just a psycho. And I guess it kind of makes us feel a bit of sympathy because he's, even though Othello's his boss, he's still punching down. He's just so evil and he's picking on the guy who's been an outsider his whole life. Can you tell how much I love Othello, it's so much fun to teach. I hope, I hope, I hope someone asks me to come back and do some more on this, but I don't know if they will. Right, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for listening to another one of my AMAs, special bonus. We will be back on track next week, talking a little bit more about a Christmas carol. Have a lovely, lovely week. SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.com. The full context of Jekyll and Hyde. Search Context Jekyll on Amazon is by me. And I will speak to you very, very soon.